Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, God's Word is amazing. I'll I'll just be honest with you, because when you read things like in James chapter 5, he says that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, when you read that, you want to say, hey, I wish that was me. I wish that described what happens when I pray. But then Here's what he says in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah, the great prophet. I mean, we just looked at how he called down fire, consumed this sacrifice, and 450 prophets of Baal are killed, and he's a man like us? Well, you don't know what's going on in my life because nothing's going right, and even when I pray... I just get silence. You ever get silence when you pray? I mean, I'm not talking about like a day silence. I'm talking about if you had like silence for like six months or a year, that happens. And you get into a place where you have despair. So we're going to talk today about how that affects us because I'll be honest with you, that kills your prayer life. Do you know what I mean? So like, okay, let me... If I go up to Brad, and let's say I text Brad, all, I, I text him 10 times a day. I, I try calling him five times a day, and Brad's ignoring me. And, and I do that for a week, and I never hear anything back. And then when I see him on Sunday, he doesn't even acknowledge that I've been trying to get a hold of him. And I've got a, let's say Brad, he's an Android man, but let's say he has an iPhone, and he has it set that I know he read my message. So, so I know he saw that I texted him. Do you think, what's that going to do? Do you think I'm going to go to him anymore when he's flat out ignoring me? Do you think that's going to kill our relationship? Do, you know what I'm saying? Despair hurts us. It, it affects our prayer life. It kills our relationship. So here's two points I want you to see. Disappointment at God kills our prayer life. Disappointment at God kills our prayer life. Some of you right now, the reason why you're not praying is because you prayed earnestly. You were praying seriously that God would do something, that maybe God would heal a relative, that maybe God would provide a new job, that maybe God would give you that raise that you need because you're in financial crisis, that God would provide money in this situation that God would do whatever it was that you were really wanting him to do. And I mean, you were earnest. I mean, you pled, you cried before him. You begged him to do something, and it didn't happen. And in some situations, the situation only got worse. That brings disappointment. You get disappointed with God. In fact, I've met people that get angry with God. God, didn't you promise all this stuff in the Bible? What didn't I do? Is it something I did? And guess what happens? You quit praying. I mean, you just flat out quit praying. Oh, you might, I mean, when I say pray, I'm not talking about where you do a blessing before the meal. I'm talking about where you just like are talking with God about what's going on in your life and you're expressing your need for him. You just quit doing that. 
In fact, you get cynical. You get cynical with God. You almost expect him to do something negative. Do you understand? It's like pouring salt on the wound. That kills your prayer life. Here's the, here's the second thing. There is no desire to pray when our faith has been shaken. And when, when he doesn't answer you, especially in those big things, especially when you're praying for a loved one, especially when you're praying for a situation that you need him to intervene in, and it doesn't happen, your faith gets shaken. You begin to question, do I really believe? Am I really saved? Does it really matter? Because I've asked a lot of times and nothing's happened. That's despair, folks. Now, here's the thing. I was just telling you that when we read James, it says that Elijah was a man like us. I mean, this great prayer warrior was a man like us. We're going to look today, this is the last thing we're going to look from Elijah's life. We're going to see that he was a man like us. We're going to see that he went through a time of despair. In fact, some scholars say that what he went through could actually be called depression. You, do you, want, you know what I'm saying? When depression happens, a darkness covers your soul because you're disappointed. Let's look at his life. Look with me. We're just going to look at 18 verses. 18 verses here in chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of those by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw it, he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals, and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. They seek my life to take it. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in the pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, still small voice. And so it was that when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, 
what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazael, the king over Syria. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shapap of Ebel-Mehilah, that you may anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu, will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah, will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth has not kissed him. Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take this interesting passage here, and we're going to divide it into three sections. We're going to talk about devastation, because it's devastation that leads to the despair in our lives. We're going to talk about what's going on in Elijah's life, and kind of relate that to where we are. We're going to look at devastation We're going to talk about God's silent care, because whether you realize it or not, even in the midst of your despair and not praying, God still cares for you. We're going to talk about that. And then finally, we're going to talk about the character of God, because that's what's going on here, folks. The fact of the matter is, is that we have got something wrong about the character of God when we're disappointed. So we're going to look at that as well. So let's look at this together. Let's talk about the devastation. To understand what's going on in Elijah's life, you've got to understand what he was called to do. He was called to be a prophet to the northern kingdom. The kingdom of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, which was the ten tribes to the north, and then the southern kingdom, which was Judah and Benjamin. The northern kingdom, from the very beginning, refused to worship God. The very first king, Jeroboam, had set up two golden calves in two different places for the people of Israel to go and worship. And he told them, just like they were told in the wilderness when Aaron made the golden calf, this is your God who delivered you from Egypt. So from that point on, the northern kingdom would continue to worship other idols, specifically the idol of Baal, which was a rain god, or Ashtaroth, which was a female goddess of fertility. And they would have engaged themselves in that. And in the meantime, they were killing the Lord's prophets. So in the midst of this, there's a wicked king by the name of Ahab who marries a foreign woman who is from what we would call Lebanon today. Her name was Jezebel. And she definitely introduced Baal worship into the area. Into this mess, there is a God, prophet of God who is called named Elijah. And he's called to to bring the people of Israel back to the Lord. And to be honest with you, if you look at his ministry, he seems to be doing a pretty good job at that. Famine strikes them as punishment for their sin. He calls down fire to show that God is real and everybody responds by the Lord is God and they kill all these prophets of Baal. You would have thought, wow, he's got it together. He's really doing a wonderful thing. Things are going to go okay till you get to chapter 19. Something interesting happens. Ahab shows up, tells his wife, hey, you won't believe what happened on the mountain today. Oh, by the way, all your prophets are dead. So guess what she does? She sends a letter, a messenger, 
to Elijah and says, hey, if you're not dead by tomorrow, let me be dead. Your life is worthless. And here's what happens. Elijah snaps. Elijah reaches a point where it's like, seriously, I thought this was over. I thought the kingdom was turning back. It doesn't seem to be going right. And he runs. He's in the midst of despair. I want you to see two things here. Here's the first one. We are totally blown away by outside forces that seem to prevail. Here's what happens, folks. You're earnestly seeking after God about something. I mean, you have been praying hard about an issue. You have been going to him. You have been searching his word. You have been seeking the counsel of others. And you have been going to God and you have been praying, God, I need you to do this. Here's the thing. You, it seems like God answers you. You seem like you know what God is saying needs to happen. And you're convinced of it. And then you enter into a situation And all of a sudden, there's these outside forces that block it from happening. That's exactly what's happening here with Elijah. You would have thought that after Ahab, King Ahab, seeing God come down, God showing himself real, showing himself real by consuming this sacrifice from heaven with fire, you would have thought that would have turned everybody's heart back to the Lord, wouldn't you? I mean, God, I mean, isn't that what we want? God to show up in a mighty way. But here's the thing. Some woman decides his life is worthless and tries to kill him. And she seems to have the power. And it almost seems like nothing's changed. See, we're totally blown away by that. We think, God, you're in control of everything, and it just seems like these circumstances are rising up that are beyond our control and they hinder God from, seems like they're hindering God from doing what God wants to have happen, isn't it? So we respond. How do we respond? Here's the second thing. The devastation to our faith drives us to run. Now, literally for him, he's, just so you understand, if you've got a map in front of you, if you want to use your Bible map, you can. But just, let's just say, let's just say the ceiling, the top of the ceiling there, that's where Mount Carmel is. He's at the very very top of northern Israel. It says that he runs. He runs from there all the way down to Horeb, which is the mountain of God. That's where Moses met with God and got the Ten Commandments. That's in Mount Sinai. He ran that far down there, folks. He's like running. We do the same thing. Except we're not running physical distances. We're running spiritual distances. What do you mean? We're running away from God. Because that's what we do when we quit praying. Do you know what I'm saying? The reason why you stop praying is not just because you were devastated about what happened. It's not just because you're in the midst of despair. You're running away from God. Do you understand? Because you're not trusting him anymore. You don't know if you can trust him anymore. You don't even know if he's answering you or if he hears you anymore. So you're running. You're avoiding him. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you're at Walmart and, and somebody, quote, does you wrong and you see them in the distance. You're over on the section where the pharmacy is and you're looking across the front and you see they're heading into the produce section. 
guess what you're doing? I've gotten everything I need today. And you leave. And you make sure you go out the door just in case they get, happen to go out the other so that you don't connect. You avoid them. You avoid God by not praying. Been there, folks. Been there. It's real. It's because of the devastation and the despair. So he's running. Some of you right now, you're running from God. You are running from him because he hasn't answered you. Or he didn't do what you wanted him to do. Or the circumstances arose and it just seems like God's not in control anymore. And you're upset and you're running. You're running. But I want you to notice something. Because this is the character. This is where our, we're going to talk about the character of God later. But this is who our God is. I think it's just amazing. Look with me. Verse 4, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. You're like, what in the world's a broom tree? Well, that's what our translators translate. It's actually a juniper tree. Juniper tree. I guess they maybe used the branches of a juniper tree to sweep with. That's why they call it the broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. And then as he lay under the broom tree, suddenly an angel of the Lord touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And this is amazing that this happens. It just doesn't happen one time. It happens two times. God's providing for him. Here's what I want you to see from this. Here's what I want you to see. God still cares for us even when we're running. You're his child. You belong to him. And even when you're devastated, and even when, can I be honest with you, you can get to this place where you're angry at him. And you're not praying anymore and you don't know what to do. Even when you are headed in a direction away from him, guess what he does? This is where God's at. This is how much he loves you. He still cares for you. He's still providing for you. What do you mean he's providing for me? He's giving you grace. He's giving you strength for another day, even when you think you don't have it. He's there. He still cares. Well, I don't know that he is. You don't have the eyes to see it. Your eyes are covered with your disappointment. Your eyes are covered with anger. You don't see what he's doing, but he's there working in the background. I mean, think for a moment. Let me ask you a question. If you just happened to kind of like, let's say you went over to the lake today, you thought you were going to soak in some rays, and you kind of sat under one of the trees there, fell asleep, and an angel woke you up and had lunch for you, you think you would... Kind of be like, an angel? When you read this, he's not even blown away by this. The second time, the angel actually hits him to wake him up. So this is what happens. You get so tunnel-visioned on what's going on in your life. But the fact is, God still cares for you. Here's the second thing I want you to see there. The Lord shows grace in hearing our complaints. Here's what goes on. You ever... Even when you're running, you're, you, you don't, you may be running, but you still run your mouth. What do you mean by that? If you do pray, well, God, you didn't do this. 
And I'm the only one. That's what Elijah says. Lord, I'm the only one left. The circumstances are terrible. They're killing, killing your prophets. They've forsaken you. They've torn down your altars. And I'm the only one, Lord. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Don't you say that? I'm the only one going through this. We believe a lie. It's a lie. You're not the only one going through it. Nothing's new under the sun. But as far as you're concerned, that's all you see. But here's the thing I want you to see. God shows grace. Listen, I want you to notice something. In this passage, two different times, Elijah complains to God and says, Oh, Lord, kill me. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. God lets him speak. And did you notice? He never tells him to be quiet. Last fall, I was really reading and digesting the book of Job. I would encourage you to do that especially if you're going through something right now. And one of the amazing things about Job is this, is you listen to the complaints of Job, and he really feels like God has abandoned him. When you get to the end of Job, he's not punished for it. He's not punished for expressing himself. Here's another one. John chapter 11. Lazarus has died. The sisters, before he has died, sent for Jesus to come so that Jesus could maybe heal Lazarus, but Jesus was delayed on purpose so that Lazarus could die. And so as Jesus is coming, the word comes to Martha. Jesus is on the way, and and she goes out to meet him, and guess what? Lord, if you had been here, haven't you said those kind of things? God, if you had done something, if you had answered me, I wouldn't have gone through this circumstance. This loved one wouldn't have died. This loved one wouldn't have suffered. When you read how Jesus responds to her, let me just go ahead and tell you, he shows grace. He never tells her, be quiet, woman. He never says to her, you don't know what you're talking about. See, this is the grace of God. God knows we're human beings. God knows that we get easily disappointed. God knows our feelings get hurt. God knows we enter into times of despair and depression. And guess what? He hears your complaints. He loves you that much, he'll hear your complaints. That's God's care, isn't it? It's not just taking care of you. It's that he really heard you and allows you to complain to him. I think that's what's so amazing. But I want you to see the character of God. This is what it blows me away. So Elijah's there, and uh, he's in this he's in this cave. Some pe- some scholars think maybe he's in the cleft of the rock or the cave that that Moses was in when God's presence passed by, so that Mo- so that Moses could see the backside of God. Some think it's the same thing. I don't really think it matters if it was that cave or another cave. I think what matters here, though, is. God says to him, why are you here? Of course, he gives his complaint, and he says, come. And then God, there's this great wind that breaks off rocks. Now, that's just wind, didn't it? There's a big earthquake, and, and then there's this big fire. And each time it says that God was not in either one of those, but then there's this still, small voice. God was in the still small voice and Elijah then wraps himself in a mantle and he goes out before the Lord. 
And then God tells him what he's supposed to do. And here's two things I want to tell you as you are facing despair. Two things about the character of God. Because despair is real. Devastation is real. But here's two things you need to recognize. Number one, God reaches out in the quietness of our heart. He's still reaching out to you even though you're not praying. And some of you know he is. Because he's reaching out to you in the quietness of your heart. He's still tugging at you. He's still calling to you. Come out here. Come meet with me. I want to talk to you. He's still reaching out. And I think it's interesting. Why, why doesn't the fire and the earthquake and the, the rocks breaking, why doesn't that move Elijah? Well, can I be honest with you? He just saw God bring down fire from heaven and consume an, an altar where there was no fire, consume everything, lick up the water off the ground, everything. He just saw God was spectacular. He doesn't need to see anything more about that, does he? He needs to know that God... Is there with him. He needs to know God's presence in his heart. So God speaks to him through the quietness of his heart. Folks, he speaks to you. Some of you need to learn to hear that. Quit, leaking, quit looking for the spectacular. Here's the second thing. In spite of setbacks... God is still at work. When you look at the instructions, now some people say, well, there you go, that's what you do when you're, when you're in, in despair, when you're going through depression. You just got to get up and go do what God's calling you to do. You got to work yourself out of it. And there is an accurate principle there. I'm not talking about that, but that's not the point here. Remember what Elijah complained about? He said, I'm the only one left. They're out to kill me. They're they've forsaken you, blah, blah, blah. He goes on and on and on. Look at what he's telling him to do. He's telling him to anoint this guy king over Syria. Now, who's Syria? They were the enemies of the northern kingdom. Anoint this guy to be the new king of the northern kingdom. And anoint this guy to be the prophet after you. What's he saying here? Elijah, I'm still at work. I'm still bringing about my will. I'm still orchestrating and bringing about what's happening in this world. And by the way, Elijah, you're not alone. There are still 7,000 people just like you who haven't bowed or kissed an idol. They worship me. See, even in spite of the setbacks, God still is at work. Here's what happens, folks. When you get devastated in your faith, you've come to some sort of belief, whether consciously or subconsciously, you've come to some sort of belief that God has quit working and God has quit doing things, that God is no longer on the throne. Here's what I want you to hear. He's still on the throne. He's still at work. He's still orchestrating things in your life because he has a purpose for you. He has things that he wants you to do. God is still in control. 
So pray. Talk to him. Be real with him. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.